who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with season two of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I'll use my background in journalism to dive into topics that matter to women today, from divorce to call-out culture to masculinity to girls' confidence. Season two of Thread the Needle finds the meeting place between feminist ideals and the realities of women's lives. Listen to Thread the Needle wherever you get your podcasts. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Every now and then, we just like to go rogue. It's episode 445 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and you might have watched Rogue Heroes on Epics this past Sunday. Got a second episode that's going to be premiering this Sunday night on Epics. I got a chance to talk to the series creator and writer, Stephen Knight, as well as the three stars of the show. Well, there's certainly more than three stars, but the three big stars of the show. Talking about Alfie Allen, who plays Jock. Also talking to... Jack O'Connell, who plays Patty, and Connor Swindles, who plays Sterling. And oh, yeah, that is such a fun trio in that first episode and beyond, too, by the way. So we'll talk to them about that show, also known as SAS Rogue Heroes, by the way. You're watching it on the BBC. Also, so many reviews to talk about this week. I didn't have really any reviews last week. So this week, going to talk about Tulsa Kings. Also going to talk about the Santa Clauses. From Disney Plus, the new movie Amsterdam, which is now on Digital HD. I'm going to talk about that one from 20th Century Studios and a whole bunch more. Plus, I'll also share my thoughts a little bit later on on the passing of Kevin Conroy this past week. But first, yeah, we're going to talk to those stars and the creator of Rogue Heroes from Epics. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Cassia Teller from The 100, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Going rogue and a side of World War II you've never seen before. Rogue Heroes is now airing on Epics every Sunday night. Soon to be MGM Plus, too, by the way. And the first episode's already come. Second episode going to be coming this Sunday. How about this? I want to give you my interviews with members of the cast and the creator and writer of the show. As a matter of fact, we'll start with creator and writer Stephen Knight, who was joined by Connor Swindles, who plays Sterling on the show and they really give us some good insight if you haven't had a chance to see it yet hey guys how's it going very good how are you very good thank you steven i actually want to start with you because there's been a lot of series a lot of movies and things that talk about world war ii they're usually very heavy focused on the nazis but rogue heroes to me is in the same space but so refreshingly different which is what i love what motivated you to want to tell this particular story i I was offered the book and the book is just tells this incredible, amazing, untold story about a group of very young men who took it upon themselves to change the way war was fought and succeeded and were really instrumental in you know, the ultimate victory against an evil force, which was the Nazis. So you know, that story in itself is amazing. I, I had a personal thing that my dad was in the Eighth Army in North Africa fighting the same battles like Tobruk and Alamein that are depicted and I could never from him get any indication of what it was like. He, he just said, we just used to play cowboys and Indians. So I felt that researching this would help me to find out a bit more 
about what he went through. Wow, that's incredible. Connor, for you, I mean, speaking of different, it feels like Sterling, he's frustrated. He's fed up. He's just a different kind of guy, which I love. He doesn't want the same old, same old. So what was your first impression of him when you first started diving into the role? I think there's there's probably two versions of Sterling. One that was left on the cutting room floor, which was a far more unlikable guy. <laughs> we would often do sort of two takes where one would be the <laughs> one would be quite a nasty chap. Not nasty, but kind of more angry and more even more frustrated at everything. There, there was I remember there was <laughs> one moment where I mean I can't I can't tell this story without giving stuff away, but there was definitely a moment where Tom Shanklin came over to me, an amazing director, and he said, okay, now let, let's try one, but let, let's just try to be more friendly. <laughs> and I, was like, I, I can see where I'm sort of pitching this in the wrong way at the moment. But I think the thing that mainly attracted me was just getting a chance to play someone for the first time who was so far removed from who I am and had a completely different upbringing, completely different class. And... It was definitely a daunting challenge. It's, it's a role that doesn't, you know, for a working class actor like myself, it's not something that really lands on your doorstep. At least it hadn't up until this point. So when it did, I, I very much jumped at it. And uh, I feel very lucky and very honoured that I was given the opportunity to do so. Well, certainly lucky you did too, man, because you do a very good job. So I want you guys both to jump in on this because there seems to be some, some history with the guys, with Sterling, Patty and Jock. The kids teased a little bit in the first episode. So for the both of you, how much are we going to kind of learn about that backstory in this first season? We do find that backstory, but we only find it out, well, mostly we find it out through events that are happening at the time. The important thing about all three of them is that they share a kind of fearlessness, which is partly the John Keats quote, that half in, half in love with easeful death, so that they're actually prepared to be dead. And that gives people an incredible amount of freedom, especially in war. So they share a, a really strong characteristic. And in almost every other way, they're totally different. But the interesting thing is that the thing that they share is so much stronger than the differences, that that's why they come together as a unit. But in terms of their background, the point of the whole thing is that their backgrounds are very different. And yet they become irrelevant in this sort of time of emergence. And for you, Connor, we actually get to learn a little bit more about Sterling, too, because he's got the backstory with his family as well, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so that's a uh, he can't say anything about that. And there's a good reason for it. You'll, you guys will see when you watch the show. One thing I really loved, uh, too, guys, was you get to a wide variety of music in this series, which I think, I mean, it really sets the tone for what the show is all about and how fun it is. So how'd you go about choosing the songs that were going to be used during this thing? Because, I mean, it's a little all over the, all over the place in a very good way. Yeah, I, I think that. There's music that works and music that doesn't work, like with, with other things where the, the genre isn't the same, but something about the music, rather like the characters, you know, they're very different and yet they're the same. And I think one of the main things about the music for this was you're in a great big desert. You need music that fills that space and big music. And big music tends to be heavy metal, punk, you know, it's loud, it's thrashing, it's vibrant. And... The, the spirit of the people who make that kind of music resembles the spirit of the people who are conducting this war. So, Connor, one of the characters we don't get to learn too much about from the trailer, at least, is Eve. But, you know, there seems to be a little bit of a connection there between her and Sterling. How much can you tell us about her? Not a lot. I mean, if I tell you anything, it will give away her storyline. You know, Sophia Patel is a fantastic actress, and I, I feel very lucky that I was able to share the screen with her. She was so great, and she was... Um, just as a person, she was she was such a support out there. We were, it was it was a difficult shoot. That's that's definitely definitely true. And she provided us with a lot of joy, and she was very positive and uplifting. You know, she she wasn't there for much. I think she sort of came out to Morocco halfway through, and and it was such a morale boost because we were dealing with you know extreme conditions. But I really loved working with her. And I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm sort of dodging your question largely here, if you can't tell, because I don't want to give anything away. So I'll just speak well of her. Well, I mean, Stephen is sitting right there. I completely understand why you would go that route for sure. All right, I'll give, you a, I'll give you an easy one that you guys will definitely be able to answer for sure. So favorite episode of this season is? Oh, all of them. Says the writer, yeah. of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, they really are fantastic. I mean, episode six is 
you know, it's so, the, the amazing thing with this show is so much happens. And episode six is just unbelievable. I mean, the ending is one of the best endings I've ever seen. And they're not kidding. They're all good. As I tease, they're definitely all good. You guys will see that Rogue Heroes premieres on November 13th at 9 p.m. Eastern on Epic, soon to be MGM Plus, by the way. Steve and Connor, thank you guys so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. The fun continues with the rest of the trio that you see a lot of in Rogue Heroes, starting with Jack O'Connell, who plays Patty, and Alfie Allen, who plays Jock. And, oh, yeah, they're definitely quite a pair, and they'll tell you about their very unique characters, too. Hi, James. Hey, guys, how's it going? Yeah, good, man. So you guys have a couple of characters with some big personalities, Patty and Jock, but I feel like, you know, in very different ways, too. So, Alfie, I want to start with you. How would you describe him? I would describe Jock as one of the founding members of the SAS. I'll wait for that siren to finish. Um, it's, just, it's appropriate, actually, I think, for these two guys. Uh, yeah, true, true. <laughs> um, yeah, he uh, he was definitely a, a disciplinarian, the disciplinarian kind of of the bunch. His methods weren't exactly, they were tried and tested, a lot of them didn't work, but he was an aloof man to uh, within the kind of uh, environment of the military but then in a sense uh, he was also quite a romantic man with his partner uh, Mira Barford and so yeah I would say that he yeah just a kind of a, uh, a man yearning for a, a kind of you know yearn for a kind of sense of adventure in his life I mean that's possibly what kind of brought these three wildly different but also kind of um joint in the same cause in terms of uh, toppling the kind of hierarchy that, that exists within the military, especially the British military. Absolutely. Jack, what do you say? It's kind of a maverick style. I think he idolised like the, the warrior, warrior poet figures of history, you know, that are apparent if you, you read your Iliads and whatever else. I'm not going to pretend to be up on uh, Greek literature, but you know, Paddy certainly was. And I think that's that's the kind of, that that was his reckoning of um, how to behave during war times. You know, I think he, I think he achieves that status. I think as history tells it, he's the most decorated soldier within the British military or one of. And so, you know, that's that's kind of justified with with his actions. And um, it's very easy to describe him as a fearless man. I don't think he's fearless, but I think he has this. He, he, he's definitely at peace with what's required of him during wartime. No doubt about that, man. So, Alfie, there's the one thing that these guys, I think, all have in common is the frustration with how things are going and how the war is being fought and things like that. And Jock, actually, he thinks he's the guy. He's like, I got the strategy. I got this. I know how we could change things. Do you feel like he is a strategic guy or do you think he's the craziest one of the bunch? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, he, he could be the craziest of the bunch in terms of um, he wants to follow a certain path and that path is ending the war single-handedly. And I think Jock really believes that he can do that. And I think he uh, is personally kind of invested in that. You know, he was in Germany at the start of the war. Um, he actually kind of uh, adhered to uh, the beliefs of that political party um, at one point and then realised that's not where he he wanted to be. So um, in terms of, yeah, the, the craziness of him, he was driven by, by, a, by a passion, really, uh, within him that uh, wasn't just to do the job, but was also um, wanting to stop the spread of fascism. You know, that was um, really where his passion, his passion central. Oh, of course, for sure. So, so Jack, I think when we first meet Patty, it's easy to judge a book by its cover, right? Like when we first meet him. But what, would you say that we're going to find out as the season goes on, is he a little bit deeper than we're going to see him and when we first meet him on the surface? Yeah, I think, yeah. God, yeah. I think Stephen Knight has this sort of ability to, to grab you and to introduce the characters with a plum. And so, um, you know, we've, we, we introduced Paddy early days. And then I do, yeah, I do think we, we kind of uh, unravel him and figure out what makes him tick and, and why. And uh, as, as the series progresses, yeah, that's for sure. I would definitely agree with that. So normally I'd give the advantage to the Irishman here, but it seems like Sterling could get everybody a run for their money when it comes to a good bout of drinking. So 
If there was a drinking contest between the three of you guys, who's winning it? Are your characters? I'll be answer this. Um, well, I would say the consumption of alcohol, uh, was tolerated by Jock, but, um, and also I encouraged in the, in the first opening scene of, of, um, of the Jock anyway, SAS Rogue Heroes, but in short, I would say probably Sterling. He seems like the man, um, that, uh, loves a whiskey in, in the Yeah, he's a good drunk. He's a happy drunk. Yeah, I don't. There's no doubt about that. I still think it'd be a pretty good contest, though. If I'm being honest, I, I think that that that's a scene we I would love to see at some point <laughs> between the, those two. So you don't see a lot of World War II series set or movies set in Egypt, which I think is really makes it even more interesting. So you guys actually filmed in the deserts of Morocco, though. But how was it like being in that environment and fil- filming in such a different setting for for an era like World War II? Oh, it was tough, man. It was tough. It was enduring. It was hot, to say the least. I think it, it tested us on a multitude of levels, but that that was that was great for what what we were there to essentially achieve and the story we were there to tell. And obviously, it, would, it doesn't it, it doesn't compare to what the people that we're portraying experienced. It just gave us an a slight insight uh, enough to be able to try and imagine it. So yeah, what 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 you're seeing on camera? I mean, if there are if there are herds, you know, if there are massive gusts of sand blowing around on on screen, that's that's not a production thing. That's us trying to shoot during a, a sandstorm, you know. And, and one of the earlier episodes, you see us trying to take off uh, uh, our first parachute mission, and it's 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 too windy. Well, we use stock footage of what was captured while we were out there because of the time of year that we were out there. Oh, do you remember? We was, was The time of year we was at meant that the thermitude... I'm not sure. I'm not sure. That word, but it basically meant that the low, the low pressures were extra, the high pressures were extra. So at the same time, every day, we had this one hell of a sandstorm would blow through and uh, just batter us. And um, we were up against it with time. So sometimes we... You know, we, we had to press on and shoot through it. So, yeah, these were the elements that we were up against and um, very, very testing. You guys will yeah. see these incredible things when Rogue Heroes premieres on Epic, soon to be MGM Plus on November the 13th. That's at 9 p.m. Eastern. Alfie, Jack, you guys, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate really appreciate it. Pleasure, Thank man. you. Thank you, mate. One of the things I instantly loved about Rogue Heroes was the fact that this isn't your typical World War II story. This isn't your typical setting for a World War II story, and this sure as hell isn't your typical soldiers for a World War II setting at all, especially since we're looking at this from the British soldiers' soldiers' perspective, and it's in, it's in South, it's in Africa. It's just a very, very different part of history, and this, you know, loosely based on history, of course, that you don't really know as much about, and it's with characters that, you're instantly going to have fun with just immediately. Now, there's some, you know, there's some things about the characters too that you might not like, but at the same time, this is a fun bunch. They're an unpredictable bunch. You never know what you're going to get from them. And oh, by the way, there's even more to the story as far as the character moments are concerned too, as well. So there's so much to love about Rogue Heroes, which is why you should be watching it every Sunday night on Epics. You're not going to be sorry that you're going to tune in for this one. I'm just, I'm promising you that. Right now, if you're looking for something different, this has definitely got my stamp of approval, no doubt about it. Again, thanks to the amazing members of the cast and the creator and writer of Rogue Heroes for joining me this week. Up next, yeah, we're going to talk about a ton of reviews. As a matter of fact, we're going to go ahead and start things off with Tulsa King, the new Paramount Plus series with Sylvester Stallone. Talk about that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is B.D. Wong from Gotham on Fox, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Sylvester Stallone is now living on Tulsa time. Tulsa King has premiered now on Paramount Plus. Got another episode coming up on the way this week as well. I want to give you my spoiler-filled review. Well, spoiler-ish review anyway of this first episode, Go West, Old Man. And yeah, basically it is about Dwight Van Freddy, who's played by Sylvester Stallone. He sort of did his time, kept his mouth shut, did what his mafia family asked of him. So now he's getting out. He thinks, okay, you know, 
I'm going to get rewarded for this, right? Eh, not so much. He kind of finds out that they're basically exiling him to Tulsa, Oklahoma to start up his own operation. They say they're giving him a city. He said he thinks it's banishment and it's disrespect. And you know how it is with disrespect and the mafia. I mean, you've seen enough Scorsese movies to know how that works. So here's the deal. What I really think is smart about this, now that you kind of know the gist if you haven't watched it yet, Taylor Sheridan, who's the creator of this series, you know, he also does Mayor of Kingstown and Yellowstone and things like that. What the brilliant thing is about Taylor Sheridan is he takes a story like this and puts it in the current day. He puts it in the present day, makes it make sense in the world that we live in now. So when you see Dwight Man Freddy show up in Tulsa with no friggin' clue at all what he's going to be doing, and this is one of the biggest spoilers I can give you if you haven't had a chance to watch this yet. Once he kind of gets in town and he sees the cannabis dispensary that's in town, that is the thing that he targets is the way he's going to make money. And it's his old way of thinking, knowing that, okay, this place is sitting on a bunch of cash and they're going to need to be protected, or at least he's going to make it seem that way. The fact that he would know that even in the position that he's been in and he's been in jail for like 20 years, hasn't really been in the modern world, he sort of, he still understands the way of the, the way to make money as a, as a mafia man. And that's the beauty part of this is that you could have picked a couple of different ways to go. You could have gone with a cliche, but Taylor Sheridan decides to do this in the, in the, in the way of legal marijuana distribution and turning that into a mafia hotbed. I thought that that was just really, really smart writing. I thought that was a really smart decision to do by everybody involved. But even in that sense, that wouldn't be enough, right? You have to have likable characters as well. I thought Dwight Manfredi, as much as he is a gangster, very likable dude. And he does some very redeeming things in this first episode. He sticks up for his new buddy Tyson. By the way, Tyson, played by Jay Will, loved him immediately. He's like the cab driver, the Uber driver guy, if you've watched the show. And I just, this guy, he, he's, you know, a young, certainly much younger than Dwight Manfredi is and sort of, you know, gets on him a little bit for being an older guy, calls him a gangster before he even knows that he actually is a gangster. And just the way those two bounce off of each other, maybe it's the age gap. I don't know, but there was just something so right about that back and forth. But you see Dwight Manfredi really befriend him really, really quickly, show a lot of respect for him. And stick up for him when there's that lack of respect there for Tyson. So that's his dude. He hires him because he likes him, basically. And then that turns into his dude. So the one thing about, again, the mafia is you're talking about, an, you're talking about honor. And he honors that relationship that he has with the man that is his driver, who's sort of like his right hand right away. So I thought that that was really, really neat back and forth that they had. And the dispensary owner, Bodie, or the guy that runs the place anyway, played by Martin Starr. Love him too. Love the scenes with him and Sylvester Stallone's character of Dwight Manfredi together. Just the way that Bodie's just not, not ready for any of this at all. He is 100% not ready for it. Has no idea what he's doing. No idea what he's getting himself into. Yet at the same time, he's, he's you know it's acting like he doesn't have a choice here. But what we also do is they dig into Dwight Manfredi's personal life. They talk about his family. And the time that he missed with them and how his relationship with his daughter is fractured and all of these other things. And then you also see him in a very unique position to possibly move on with his life with a woman that he meets in this first episode. And that's the one twist I won't reveal for you is who she ends up being and what kind of a catalyst this could end up setting off down the road in future episodes. This was one of those shows. I was really hoping to like us because I'm really into into mafia-type shows and movies. Love those. I think this being Sylvester Stallone's first TV series was interesting. And I I love that we're going to get more of this. It's not just going to be a movie that's a couple of hours long and they're going to wrap it up quickly. I love that we're going to get a little bit more in-depth with this character and with the story and with this family, this mafia family that he's a part of, that Dwight Manfredi's a part of. And... How much will they embrace him? How much will they push him to the side? How much will he maybe realize he doesn't need them anymore and he could strike out on his own? And that's not, you know, that's easier said than done 
as well, too. There's just so many different ways this can go, so many different layers to this show. And it just shows you, again, how brilliant Taylor Sheridan and company are. You understand why he's so successful, and he branches himself. This is also his way of branching himself out of the Montana style of Yellowstone. I know he did that with Mayor of Kingstown. You know, the prison system there. So he's gone from the western blue big skies of Montana to the prison system to now the mafia that he's working on. So there's so many different types of stories you get from Taylor Sheridan and company. This one, you can add this as another winner to the list. I think Tulsa King, for me, going to be appointment viewing anyway. You know, it's one of those things where you don't hesitate to hit that little plus mark to add it to your little list on Paramount Plus or whatever it is. This is one that's going to do that for me, for sure. I'm looking for a lot of really, really good episodes. I think there's 10 episodes in this first season. I see no reason, other than maybe Sylvester Stallone not wanting to do the show anymore, for them to not have a second season. If you're not watching this thing, you need to. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if I don't get a second season, I'm blaming you. Because you weren't watching it. And you should have been. That's going to do it for my spoiler-ish review of Tulsa King, the first episode anyway, on Paramount+. Plus. Up next, going to head to Disney Plus and talk about the Santa Claus's premiere. Those first two episodes, we'll do that spoiler-free next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. You've probably heard the name Mary, Queen of Scots, and maybe you know the importance of her legacy to the British monarchy. But how much do you know about her life and what she was really like? For instance, did you know that she preferred to have her eggs scrambled or that giving gifts was her love language? In my podcast, Vulgar History, we'll be talking about all that and more during an eight-part miniseries about the fascinating life of Mary, Queen of Scots. Vulgar History is a feminist women's history comedy podcast where we don't shy away from the messy, complicated lives of women from the olden times. Particularly with women in history, it's easier to use broad strokes to portray who they were, and it's like we forget they probably also had messy lives, complicated relationships, and maybe things weren't as black and white as they might seem in a textbook. But... I'm dedicated to sharing the sides of the stories we don't always hear, and each episode is supported by rigorous historical research. Turns out there's really something about Mary Queen of Scots. So be sure to turn into my series about Mary Queen of Scots and check out the other incredible women I've talked about while you're there. You can listen and subscribe to Vulgar History wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at vulgarhistory.com. Hi, this is Chin Han from Ghost in the Shell, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, and there's no stopping it, especially on Disney Plus, where the Santa Clauses has debuted its first couple of episodes. As somebody who loved the Santa Claus movies at Christmas time, especially that first one, I definitely wanted to review this. I am, we're going to do a little bit more Christmas stuff this year, just because I think it's fun, and I still think it's pretty relatable quite frankly so we're just going to go ahead and do it but yes tim allen back as scott calvin slash santa claus and he's been santa claus for almost 30 years at this point and he realizes that and again this is in the trailer so there's no real spoilers so he's like you know hey can't be santa forever so let's see if we can go ahead and find a replacement but the first two episodes dive a little bit deeper into that and you have a couple of different stories going on here the, the first being calvin and his family and what's happening to Santa in general is kind of one of the catalysts for this. And again, if you haven't had a chance to watch it yet, I know things are busy right now. I'm not going to spoil that for you, but there's something that happens that kind of sets this whole thing in motion. And it's not what you think it is right off the bat. So I'm not going to spoil that. But then the, the, you take a really good look at his family and keep in mind these, his family has been, he's got kids that are growing up in the North pole, basically. Now, you might think, hey, that's that's cool. That's got to be cool, right? Well, I mean, is it, though? And there's reasons why that might not be cool. And they kind of get into that a little bit in these first couple, a couple of episodes. You also get to look at the family life and the home life of, of something that is, you know, unique, to say the least, and how that sort of can affect a family dynamic. And I thought that that was a really neat perspective into this whole thing, especially when you're talking about his kids, Buddy and Sarah, who, again, you might think that you kind of have an insight into why they're doing some of the things that they're doing and they're feeling this way that they're feeling the way that they're feeling. It's not until that second episode until it gets a little bit clearer and you go, oh, well, you know, hey, that actually kind of makes sense. But then in the search 
for a new Santa, we're really focused in on Cal Penn's character of Simon Chosky. Chosky, excuse me. And he's a toy maker, a high-tech toy maker, as a matter of fact. And he, you know, has his own company. And, you know, maybe things aren't going as well as they should. He's really got a really smart daughter named Grace, played by Rapel Red, who is wonderful in these first couple of episodes. She's a big Santa believer, too, by the way. That always helps. And you kind of see that Simon has all these ideas, not quite sure how to put them into motion. You could tell the brilliant mind is there, but there's, you know, not necessarily always somebody steering the ship, if that's the good way to put it. And you start to sort of see these parallels of, okay, do you, you kind of see where this is going here, or do you not see where this is going? And the, his story, I think, is, a, is an interesting one to watch in these upcoming episodes. You've also got Noel, who's the elf that kind of is Santa's main elf sort of thing. And I love those two. I just love Noel in general because he's got this just positive personality to him. He's like, he's like your ultimate hype guy. You know, like if you were feeling down and you'd want somebody to help you feel better, Noel's is certainly that elf and certainly, you know, just a really hard worker in general. But his scenes with Betty, who's played by Matilda, Matilda Lawler, Devin Bright, who plays Noel, by the way, I love watching the two of them together. When you see the show, you'll understand why. It's just it's just a very, very fun dynamic between the two of them. This show, though, had its moments in its first couple of episodes, for sure. The, the couple of the problems that I had with it was the humor felt a little forced at times. You could tell they were trying to be funny, and they were trying to be like funny in a more modern world, in a more modern sense, and that you're trying to bring today's world into this Santa Claus world and you're trying to make humor out of that. And here's the deal. I don't think you needed to do that. I don't think you needed to try and drag. Now, for in certain senses, you did. Obviously, you have to modernize the show, but the way they managed the humor at certain points, I thought was a little played and I thought, you know, felt a little forced. So it didn't really land for me. There were a couple of funny moments. In this for sure, but the, but it just felt more natural and it felt more in line with what the movies were in the first place. Because no matter what, you, you got to keep the spirit of the thing that you're doing, right? Especially when you're doing a sequel that is years down the road. You got to at least honor what the previous one was doing. And the problem is, is that we got some of that, maybe not enough of that. And that was my problem as far as the humor was, was concerned anyway. And just not letting Tim Allen be Tim Allen. You might not like Tim Allen, the person, but at some point you probably liked either Home Improvement or one of these Santa Claus movies. So you already liked the character of Scott Calvin in the first place, more than likely. You know how this character's humor is, and it just didn't feel like his kind of humor when when it was coming from him. The story, I think, is a good take. I think it's a good angle. And that's one of the main reasons I'm sticking with this series. Not just not just the fact that it's, you know, it's Christmas time and this is the kind of thing I want to be watching in the first place. But the story does have make good linear sense. So it's hard to argue with saying, okay, even if the first couple of episodes weren't gold, you gotta stick with it, right? Because there's all these other reasons that were laid out, some of which have nothing to do with Christmas directly, by the way that make you want to stick around to sort of see what happens and see where the story takes you. The only problem is, is that if this forced humor stuff continues and you have certain other cliches that might be thrown in there as well and other tropes, that's where the show could get a little bit off the rails. So I agree with some of the criticisms that I've seen online that it's a little slow. Yeah, it's a little slow. I understand what they're trying to set up, though. So I'm not going to be upset about that. I think they've got some good characters. I think they have some definitely some good casting in this thing. There's characters from the original movie that you're going to get to see, which there's some of the funnier moments are of that in the first couple of episodes. And a couple of little surprises anyway. Or at least I think that there's surprises. You might not when you go ahead and see it. But again, this is one that didn't blow me away. I was kind of hoping it would blow me away, but it didn't. But I'm still looking forward to watching the rest of the episodes of The Santa Clauses, which, of course, is now streaming on Disney+. Plus. going to be coming out every Wednesday, so make sure you're ready for that. Let's go to do it for my spoiler-free review of the first couple of episodes of The Santa Clauses. Up next 
If you haven't gotten your chance to get Amsterdam on digital HD yet, it's available now. And I'll give you my review of that movie too next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Kirsty Bryan from Tales of the Walking Dead, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. And you thought witnessing a murder was your biggest problem. Amsterdam is now on Digital HD from 20th Century Studios. I want to give you my spoiler kind of-ish review of this movie, but before I do that, I need to let you know that 20th Century Studios and Walt Disney Entertainment did provide me with a free copy of this movie on Digital HD. All opinions here are my own, and I think that'll be made clear by this review, quite frankly, because I want to read you the logline first. The logline's like a one-sentence description of what the movie is, so here it is. In the 1930s, three friends witness a murder, are framed for it, and uncover one of the most outrageous plots in American history. This is directed and written by David O. Russell, who has like a cult following with some movies that he's done in the past, which is, you know, completely understandable. But at the same time, I'm watching this thing and it's got a star studded cast. I mean, you've seen him. I mean, Silver Linings Playbook by David O. Russell was really good. American Hustle, Three King. He's had a lot of good movies over the years. Worked with Christian Bale a lot. Christian Bale is in this movie as well. And he's known for having star studded casts in his movies. Margot Robbie is in this thing. You've also got John David Washington. Chris Rock is in this. Michael Myers is in it. Even Taylor Swift is in this friggin' movie, okay? Here's the problem with this movie. And I could I could list the stars in this movie and until I mean that it would take the 2 hour runtime just to do that to tell you about all the stars in this movie. The problem with this movie is is that for a good 85% of the movie I don't even know what I'm watching. Like you're establishing a story between three characters. I get that much. I'm not stupid. I know that that's what you're doing with the with the Burt Bird with Burt, Valerie and Harold, but Christian Bale, Margot Robbie and John David Washington, respectively. You're you're giving us the basis of their relationship. You're 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 really laying the foundation for these three particular characters, and then things the dots sort of start to get connected as the movie goes on. The problem is, you know, when you're playing connect the dots. Right. Or you're just you're trying to make a picture or something. Right. When you're doing connect the dots. The problem is, is that you'll have a straight line and then it'll go violently one direction, violently another direction. It'll go in the middle and stay in the middle for a little bit. And then violently. This movie is all over the friggin' place. I mean, all over the place. And it's not just because of the time jumps. There's some time jumps in there. You need the time jumps to explain certain things about these characters and certain reasons that they are who they are, that they feel the way they do, and things like that. And it's also to set up a couple of things that's going to happen later on in the movie, faces and names that are going to be important, which is very obviously pointed out in those flashback scenes. But here's the problem. You're almost wasting the rest of your cast because you're so laser-focused on these three characters. Now, granted... You will get invested in at least one of these characters, probably a couple, maybe all three. Okay. Christian Bale, Margaret Robbie, and John David Washington as a trio do a fantastic job. I'm going to put that out there right now. They are very, when they're together, when they are one unit, as it were, they, they do a very good job. It's very likable. It's darn right entertaining at times. The rest of it, it's like, and it's so all over the place. It, it, it almost, it's not a difficult story to follow, but at the same time, it doesn't necessarily make sense. And then once it finally gets to the end, you're going, wait a minute, was that supposed to, how did they get there? It's like when you take, and when you got your GPS on and you say, screw it, I know where I'm going. And you, the GPS is constantly saying to you, recalculating, recalculating recalculating and it gets mad at you, right? Well, I felt like I was recalculating throughout this entire movie, quite frankly, like the whole thing. I, I, there were plenty of times where I had no idea where I was. And yet I thought I knew where I was going, right? Did I eventually get to where I wanted to be? I mean, that's a matter of opinion for you when you're watching this movie, if you got to where you wanted to be and the end results you thought you were going to get, but at the same time, you're like, okay, 
So I was focused on this one thing. Now you want me to focus on at least one other thing, if not two or three other things. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I could do that. And then there's little quirks about all of these characters as well that, you know, you'll either like or you won't. But at the same time, it just feels like there could have been a much cleaner way to get where they were going and give us more from this all-star cast than we actually got. I mean, Anya Taylor-Joy is in this thing. She plays a pretty pivotal role in this movie. Rami Malek, same thing, plays a pretty pivotal role, but you don't see enough of them. You barely see Zoe Saldana in this movie at all, even though they established something about her and one of the other characters early on, and you don't really get a whole lot out of that. And I want to, I mean, you do eventually, but again, it's, it's like, okay, you look at the cast that you have here and then they only focus on a few of them and you don't have to have, you know, you can't make a movie like four hours and give everybody equal time. I understand that. But I mean, some of these are, are barely a cameo, but then they end up being important characters and you say, well, how can you do that? It just seemed like this movie was too all over the place for the sake of being all over the place. You're making it too complicated. You didn't have to make this story as complicated as it was. You could have got to where you're going, A, a lot faster, a lot B, a lot smoother, and C, in a lot less time. This is not a very long movie necessarily, but I think it's about you know, like two hours, 15 minutes-ish. You could have done it in an hour 45, if I'm being completely honest. And there weren't enough move moments in this movie that I'm like, oh, that's good. I'm going to remember that. And quirky movies that are a little bit weird and a little bit all over, all over the place, at least sometimes you'll get a couple of moments there where you go, I'm going to remember that scene. I will remember nothing about this movie. Not a single thing in the next. As soon as I'm done recording this, I'll have probably forgotten most of it anyway. If I don't write it down, I'm not going to remember for this particular movie. And that's not a good thing for one of these movies that you kind of expected to be like award worthy. Anytime you see all of these stars up there, you go, oh, well, this is going to be very popular at the awards for sure. And maybe it still will be. But my goodness, this movie just doesn't seem like it, it almost you, you expect it to be like Murder on the Orient Express ish kind of thing. It's not that at all. It's just too weird to be that. And it's not really sure what it wants to focus on in the first place. So, I mean, if Amsterdam is your thing. If you've seen it, you're like, I think you're crazy. I don't know what you're talking about. Hey, you have a very different taste in movies than I do, and you do you. This is quirky. It's manic. I don't know what's happening most of the time or why it's happening. I tend to think I'm a pretty smart person, but it's just, and the way that they, they use this cast, just it wasn't for me. So that's my spoiler-ish review of Amsterdam from 20th Century Studios. I really don't know what else I could possibly say about this thing. But if you disagree with me, feel free to tweet me or find me on social media or just, you know, yell at me or something. Whatever you want to do is fine by me. Up next, there's one big nerd news item I want to talk about this week and also want to give my thoughts on the passing of the late, great Kevin Conroy. That's next. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Robin Wood Taylor from Gotham, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Spidey senses are tingling towards television. It's time for nerd news. And you remember months and months ago, maybe even a year ago at this point, about a Silk series that was going to be coming to TV at some point in the Spider-Man universe. Well, now we have a lot more information about that and a surprising home for that show, as a matter of fact. So the show is going to be called Silk Spider Society, and Angela Kang is going to be the showrunner. Deadline is one of the many that reported this right away when the news dropped on Thursday. But the surprise actually comes from the fact that the first run of the series is going to be on MGM+, Plus, which was Epic's going to be, be become MGM+. Plus. I talked about Rogue Heroes. This is the same network that that is going to be on. And then it will air on Prime Video in the United States after that. Amazon's also going to stream this internationally. This is a huge, huge get. For MGM Plus, this is this adds a major legitimacy to that 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 network. It really, really does, and it really just kind of props up the MGM name again. You know, period. After after all the the sale that went through, and of course MGM and and Amazon Amazon owns MGM, so it's not like it's outside of the realm of the Amazon family. 
And Amazon obviously wants to make the MGM brand a little bigger, a little better. And what better way to do that than to have a Spider-Man TV series that is apparently going to be launching a bunch of different Spider-Man TV series. So I, I was looking forward to the Silk series anyway. I think you do have to be careful about trying to launch a series of series right away. I, if that's the idea, then fine. I don't know if it's going to be a connected universe or anything like that. It sort of seems like it's going to be. But, I, you know, there's always a danger. And here's what we're going to do for the next 10 years. Just because it worked for Marvel Studios doesn't mean it's going to work for you. But I hear this news and I think to myself, isn't this what they should be doing? with these Spider-Man characters, right? Instead of giving, like, Madam Web her own movie and all of these different villains and characters, it's like, you know, if you gave some of these a TV series and you actually give yourself a chance to play the long game with some of these characters that might not be as well-known and establish a story here, maybe you'll have a chance at grabbing somebody's attention rather than trying to cram everything into a two-hour movie and expecting good results with a character that not a lot of people know, even if you cast it well. You're kind of putting yourself behind the eight ball there. So to me, this is maybe a situation where, you know, you can learn from the Sony Pictures mistakes and Columbia Pictures because there's, I say mistakes, maybe that's a little heavy handed, but, you know, you look at Morbius and that's a prime example of a character that if you give Morbius a TV series, does it work out differently? Maybe because of the, the approach certainly might have been different for that thing. And, you know, the casting might have been as well, but at the same time, you know, I think it might have been a better option. It's also a lot less risky to do a TV series on MGM Plus than it is to have a major motion picture. And budget-wise, you know, I don't think that they—I don't think they were going to blow out the budgets for these things anyway. So why not go TV and sort of see what happens? You—you could pick the episode, the number of episodes that you want. I mean, we've seen six-episode series have a lot of success. We've seen eight episodes. You know, you do as much as thirteen, whatever you want, and then maybe you get multiple seasons, maybe you don't. But if you ended at one season. You know, at least you've got something out of it to maybe forward the greater story if you choose to go that route. So to me, this is a smart move. It really is. And I think that I really hope that this works out the way that we want it to. I mean, I mean, Spider-Man 2099 is another one that I'm thinking about that would be really cool. I don't know if you do Miles Morales on TV. I kind of still think they'll hold him for a feature. But there's so many other characters that you could bring in. A Superior Spider-Man series, to me, would be incredible. I don't know if we'll see that ever. But to me, I, I, I would love to see that. So, so many possibilities. We'll have to wait and see where this goes. Now, I hate to shift gears like this because it's a sad story. And I don't like telling too many sad stories. And I don't like talking about too many, you know, celebrity deaths is for a lack of a better way of putting it. But when you're talking about an icon, I can't not bring it up. Kevin Conroy, the iconic Batman actor, passed away this past week. And honestly, I, I, I was thinking about what I was going to say about Kevin Conroy, and I'm thinking, what do you say? I mean, this is a guy that for multiple generations, he is their Batman, whether it be Batman the Animated Series, any number of Batman animated movies, the Arkham games. You know, this he was so many people's first Batman and so many people's Batman just in general. And for an iconic character like that, I mean... What more can you ask for, really? And I mean, he's he's had many other projects that he's done, and he's done many other voices, but it's hard not to focus on Batman just because of how amazing he was with that character and how many different ways he was able to portray Batman. I remember the first time I met Kevin Conroy was at my first Comic-Con, and he sat down right next to me, and I don't normally get nervous when I do interviews or anything like that, but when Kevin Conroy walked in the room and sat down next to me, I, I was shaking a little bit. I'm not going to lie. I was, I was actually nervous. And he put you so at ease. He's such, he was such a calm and just incredibly well-spoken man. And I remember him telling me that he loves playing versions of Batman where he can do something different with the character. At, the, at that point, we were talking about, I think it was Batman Harley Quinn was the movie that I was talking to him about. And he said, you loved showing that comedic side of Batman that you don't always often get to see and that he doesn't often get to portray. So being able to do that was kind of like a gift when he got to do something different with the character, even though he always appreciated being able to do the character at its, you know, at its core. And then to see him get that moment 
in the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover in the Arrowverse where he finally got to play a live-action version of Bruce Wayne slash Batman. I mean, you, you know how that worked out if you saw the Crisis crossover. But the fact that he was able to do that before he passed away and get that chance to play the character in live-action as well, I thought just so fitting for a guy that has been probably the best Batman of all of them. And you see the debates all the time. You see the pictures and stuff on social media, blah, blah, blah. You know, is it Keaton? Is it Bale? Is it, you know, Kilmer? Whoever you want to choose, right? You almost never see Kevin Conroy as an option there. And then you see fans that know better that will add Kevin Conroy and like the comments and stuff like that. And kind of, you know, you, you educate the fans that don't know. And everybody should know. But, you know, I, you know, I don't fault anybody for not knowing. Maybe I do a little bit, but you know, I don't I don't fault anybody that's new or isn't really a, a huge Batman fan to their to his core about not knowing about Kevin Conroy, but if you don't know about Kevin Conroy and you're not familiar enough and you're learning about him after his passing, go ahead and do a little digging and you know, find his work and just absorb all of it because what he did with that character, not just in Batman the Animated Series, not just the Arkham games, not just in the, like I said, many things that he's done with this character, but just the, the, the other roles that he did as well. He was such an incredible actor and brought so many amazing voices to life, sometimes big roles, sometimes small roles, but you always knew that Co Kevin Conroy was going to be there to bring it every single time, and he will definitely be missed. It was certainly sad news. When I find out about that, heart goes, my heart goes out to his family and friends that knew him very, very well. I'm very, very fortunate to have gotten a chance to, to meet him a few times. He was so gracious and amazing to me every single time, and I will definitely miss the great Kevin Conroy. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Remember, you can always go to downandnerdypodcast.com to find out all the stuff we've got going on. Also, follow along on social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram and at Down and Nerdy on Facebook, at Down and Nerdy Pod on TikTok and wherever you get your podcasts, make, it, make sure you're subscribing because that really, really helps out the show a lot as well. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family if you're celebrating that in your household. And remember when you're around that table that you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic? Ever since I was born, I could hear the spirits of the other world. Where old stories take on a new life. If you break even one of these conditions, the consequence is death. And the world is teeming with possibilities. It's midnight, girls! They're here! Get ready to change! Well, for the last time, we're not kissing, Fritz! <laughs> Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with as you've never heard them before. You are no more than a demon! Okay, Gown. Let's do this. And reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. Ready for your next adventure? Then we'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales.